0: friend as some of you already know this program is financially supported 100% by love gifts from listeners like yourself so please would you help us with a donation so that we can produce more programs and bless others we need your financial support to make a one time donation visit our website drruthtani.org that's dr r-u-t-h-t-a-n-y-i dot o-r-g. Look for the donation button and donate right there. It is a very secure, simple, and easy process. Or for more of an impact, would you prayerfully consider becoming a Christ-centered monthly partner with us? While on our website, you will find all of the information about becoming a Christ-centered partner. As a monthly partner, your regular prayers and financial support will enable us to produce more Bible teachings in order to reach more people and transform their lives with God's Word. For those of you who prefer regular email, you can send your donation to us. Here's the address. Dr. Ruth Tiny Ministries, P.O. Box 1806, Loma Linda, California, 92354. You can also email us with your questions about becoming a partner. Here's the email address, info at drruthtanyi.org, that's I-N-F-O at D-R-R-U-T-H-T-A-N-Y-I dot O-R-G, or you can always call us at 909-383-7978. Dr. Ruth Tanye Ministries is a federal government-approved 501c corporation, which means that all of your donations are 100% tax-deductible as allowed by the law. We thank you in advance for your kind donation and prayers. Here is Dr. Ruth.
1: Okay, we are moving right along here in the book of Numbers. In today's teaching, I will cover Numbers chapters 5 through 7. So let's begin with a closer look at Numbers chapter 5. What is the gist of this chapter? In this chapter, we will learn again about God's holiness. And we will also learn about restitution for wrong and uh, also God's... um, Punishment or God's um, justice with regards to unfaithfulness in a marital relationship. So let's take a closer look at the first few verses of Numbers chapter 5. The Lord said to Moses, verse 2, Command the Israelites to send away from the camp anyone who has a defiling skin disease or a discharge of any kind or who is ceremonially unclean because of a dead body. Verse 3, Send away male and female alike. Send them outside the camp so they will not defile their camp where I dwell among them. Again, we see how the Lord is insisting about his holiness, telling Moses to evaluate the camp. If there's any uncleanliness in the camp, that person should be sent away. Uh, Because he dwells among them. Again, these verses are just highlighting how God uh, is holy and uh, filth or, or dirt or defilement, cannot abide in his presence. So that is what this is talking about. And this defilement could be spiritual or physical. The Lord is holy and perfect and none of that stuff can be around him. So we see him telling us about his holy nature. Here, which is still the same, if we, uh, as Christians, we cannot approach God in our fellowship time with him, with dirty thoughts in our souls and with, with wickedness in our heart. We have to get rid of all such types of emotions before we can approach God in prayer. Of course, this is not saying that if you have a disease in your body, you cannot approach God. No. Remember, Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of these laws so we can approach God in the name of Jesus because Jesus Christ is the only perfect and holy one. So God will still hear us in the name of Jesus because Jesus Christ is our uh, intercessor. So yes, even when we have sicknesses in our bodies, we can still approach God in the name of Jesus and seek for his healing. Uh, And if we have dirty thoughts in our minds, And wickedness and unforgiveness, we have to get rid of that before we approach God in the name of Jesus. So that is what those verses are teaching us there. We come to verses 5, all the way to uh, verse 10. Here, the Lord is going to give instructions for restitution. And it's interesting how the Lord takes it personal. Let's take a look at a few verses. Verse 5, the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, any man or woman who wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord is guilty and must confess the sin they have committed. We see how the Lord is saying that if the, uh, an Israelite wrongs a fellow Israelite, he takes it personally. So God takes it personally, and God is saying that in that situation, the person has wronged against him, God, and not necessarily against his fellow Israelites. And God takes it seriously, and he's saying that the person must confess their sin and make restitution. And um, again, talking about the confessing sin, we are already learning how it is God's system, as we have gone over through these pages, that when we are guilty or when we have sin in our lives, we have to confess it with our mouths to seek for repentance. And, of course, that confession has to be genuine. It cannot be coerced. And we have to stop the wrong. And there are times when we have to make restitution. But in these verses, uh, the Lord would give instructions how uh, restitution can be made if the person wronged is not available. Look at verse 8. But if that person has no close relative to whom restitution can be made for the wrong, the restitution belongs to the Lord and must be given to the priest, along with the ram with which atonement is made for the wrongdoer. So we see how the Lord is saying that, Uh, If the person that was wronged is not available for restitution to be made to him or her, that restitution has to be given to the priest, and the Lord would claim that. And in verse 9, the Lord is saying that all the sacred contributions the Israelite brings to the priest will belong to him. Verse 10, sacred things belong to their owners, but what they give to the priest belongs to the priest. Again, we see the Lord setting the priest apart there. Okay, moving here to verse 11, uh, verses 11 all the way to verse uh, 31, really uh, are very interesting verses because the Lord would uh, give a test for an unfaithful wife. And uh, as you read these verses, it may sound that the Lord is um, punishing the woman and not the man, But you have to keep the culture in context, okay? Before I I go over the punishment, you have to keep in mind that back in that culture, the women could not work. The women essentially had to depend on the men for all of their livelihood, their uh, food provisions, and everything. So men had uh, a lot of power and control over their women. So... Men could just get up one day and suspect the wife of adultery just because they imagine it in their mind. And with that imagination, they could have brought um, an accusation against the wife and that would carry some deadly consequences. So the Lord gave these instructions while it may seem harsh, but it was it was actually to protect the honest, truthful women who are married to men who want to falsely accuse them. So, approach these verses uh, from that perspective that this was more of a protective mechanism for the women. So, uh, just to summarize this, what these verses are teaching us is that uh, when a man accuses, his wife of possibly infidelity or adultery, the woman was supposed to swear by oath to the priest that she did not commit adultery or that she committed adultery. And that test was that the priest was going to make some concoction of bitter water, And that woman was supposed to drink it. And while she uh, drank that uh, concoction of bitter water, she was supposed to say amen, confessing that if she had committed adultery towards her husband, that water would bring a curse on her and her belly would swell up and she would uh, endure miscarriages. So essentially, Uh, That woman would say, Amen. And if you come down all the way to verse 22, it says, May this water that brings a curse enter your body so that your abdomen swells or your womb miscarries. Then the woman is to say, Amen, which means so be it. So the woman takes this vow, drinking this water given by the priest, saying that if I have had an extramarital relationship, I will endure this curse. And many Bible scholars believe that this is the first time in the Bible that the word amen is used here. Amen means so be it. Or I am in agreement with what the Lord says. So amen. So this woman would say amen, uh, meaning that I agree I will carry the curse. And if the woman is innocent, she would also confess that drinking the bitter water would not bring a curse unto her. And as part of this, the woman was to offer a grain offering, a sin offering uh, to the priest who was to carry that out on her behalf. So that is what all of those uh, verses are saying. And... Um, We come down to verse 29. This then is the law of jealousy when a woman goes astray and makes herself impure while married to her husband. Or when feelings of jealousy uh, come over a man because he suspects his wife. The priest is to have her stand before the Lord and is to apply this entire law to her. Verse 31, the husband will be innocent of any wrongdoing, but the woman will bear the consequences of her sin. So we see how this was to play out. And you also have to understand that this really also was a lot that protects, uh, like I mentioned earlier, the women who were truly innocent, faithful, but yet their husbands were trying to bring upon a curse on them. So uh, while this may seem bad, but this is a protective thing, Preventing the male from falsely accusing the women and also protecting the innocent uh, women from a, a curse or from judgment or punishment from their husbands. However, for the women who truly committed this sin, they were to endure this hardship. Okay, so this is God's justice here. All right, so it protected the woman. And, and then allowed judgment for the woman who actually committed the adultery. Okay, so we now come to chapter 6. What is the gist of this chapter? In chapter 6, we will learn about what is called the Nazarite vow. Okay, just a little background here. The Nazarite uh, vow was like a a dedication or a consecration to the Lord of yourself. In today's language, we can view this as somebody who is fasting, say for about a week, somebody who decides that they would fast for a week and deny themselves of fluids or food in order to um, be entirely focused onto the Lord. So that is a very similar thing that we could... um, likened to uh, today's um, era. But the Nazarite vow, uh, like I said earlier, was because there were people who truly wanted to dedicate them themselves and their services entirely to the Lord, or they wanted to dedicate their children. So the Lord had to give them specific instructions of how this dedication uh, would take place. And also keep in mind that This uh, Nazarite vow could be as short as a month, okay? Like I used the example of fasting, a couple of weeks, or it could be a lifelong uh, dedication uh, to carry out this Nazarite vow. But uh, keep in mind with regards to the comparison I made to fasting, The Lord is not expecting us to fast permanently. I just use that as example to liken the the concept of dedication and consecration to the Lord uh, to this Nazarite vow. So you do not have to fast permanently. You can dedicate and consecrate yourself through fasting for about a week or 30 days, just like uh, some people Undertook this Nazarite vow for a few weeks and as uh, up to thirty days or, or lifetime. So, with that background, let's take a look at a few verses, uh, beginning with Numbers chapter six, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, verse two, "Speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or a woman wants to uh, wants to make a special vow or or a vow of dedication to the Lord as a Nazirite, they must do the following things. I'm just adding here. So they must, number one, abstain from wine and other fermented drink and must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drink. That is the first requirement, just to set them apart, no fermented drink. Again, if this is for a short-term period, you will not do that during this period. If this was for a lifetime, you will not do this during your lifetime. They must not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. That is the um, next requirement there. Uh, Verse 4, as long as they remain under their Nazarite vow, they must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, not even the seeds of skins. Verse 5, during the entire period of their Nazarite vow, no razor may be used on their head. They must be holy until the period of their dedication to the Lord is over. They must let their hair grow long. You see how the Lord is giving a specific instructions how to go about this. Boy, these instructions uh, were not for the faint-hearted. It was for somebody who truly has considered and had pondered, their decision to dedicate themselves unto the services of the Lord. This was somebody who truly wanted to wholeheartedly commit themselves to the Lord, no turning back. And the Lord is telling them how that is to be carried out. And of course, when we get to the book of um, Judges, we will learn that Samson, the iron man was a nazarite okay and uh, we would learn how his power was in his hair and then of course he was deceived by delilah and he shaved his hair and his power left him but god uh, god's mercy was upon him and his hair started to grow again and he regained his strength and he was able to take down more philistines at his death than when he was alive. So we will learn more of that when we get to the book of Judges. So I wanted to just give you that little background there. Some other Bible scholars uh, say that John the Baptist was also uh, a Nazarite, that he had uh, taken this Nazarite vow. Some Bible scholars also say that the prophet Samuel had also taken the Nazarite vow. So I just wanted to give it up, give you that perspective there. Okay, let us come to verse six. It reads, Throughout the period of their dedication to the Lord, the Nazarite must not go near a dead body. Even if their own father or mother or brother or sister dies, they must not make themselves ceremonially unclean on account of them. Boy, isn't this something? This is really highlighting how God is a God of the living, not of the dead. So God is highlighting here how during this period of dedication as a Nazarite, they cannot even come close to anything that does not have life because he is alive. Remember, the God who is alive The God who is always present, our available God, is alive, not dead. So we see God teaching us through this text that he is the living God. So anything that is dead is not to come around him. Okay, we move to verse 9. If someone dies suddenly in the Nazarite presence, thus defiling the hair that symbolizes their dedication, they must shave their head on the seventh day. So we see how the Lord is saying that the hair on the head of the Nazarite symbolizes their dedication. And if by accident they come in contact with a dead corpse, They have to shave off the hair on their head on the seventh day. And um, verse 10 teaches us that on the eighth day, remember, eighth is the number of new beginning in Bible studies. So on the eighth day, they have to make some sacrifices, which would Include bringing two doves or two young pigeons to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting. In verse 11, the priest is to offer, I say, one time a sin offering and then a burnt offering is to be made to atone for the sin of the Nazarite because they sinned by being in the presence of the dead body. Isn't that something? The Lord is saying that it is seen if the Nazarite who had wholeheartedly dedicated him or herself to him comes in contact with a dead body. Wow. So um, they must re- rededicate themselves to the Lord for the same period of dedication and must bring a a year old male lamp as a guilt offering. That was verse 12. Just saying that once the Nazarite... Um, Commits the sin and then they, they bring their sacrifices to the priest. And they have to rededicate themselves. And in the process of rededication, they have to then dedicate themselves to the service of the Lord. In accordance with their previous length of time that they had originally dedicated. Again, a God of consistency. Wow. Come to verse 13. Now this is the law of the Nazareth. Nazarite, rather, uh, when the period of the dedication is over. Now, when uh, the period of the dedication is over, this is referring to those who dedicate themselves to the Lord for a short period of time, like I said earlier, say 30 days, once the short period of dedication time is over they also had to make sacrifices in order to restore fellowship with the lord and these verses tell us the type of uh, sacrifices that the lord is asking in verse 14 they have to bring a year old male lamp for a bond offering uh, a lamp without defect for the sin offering and a ramp without defect for a fellowship offering and then verse 15 talks about a grain offering. And in verse 16, the priest is to present all of this before the Lord and make the sin offering and the bond offering on behalf of the Nazarite before fellowship, offering can, before fellowship can be restored with the Lord. Um, and verses 18 all the way through uh, 19. Is also talking about how the Nazarite must shave off uh, their hair that symbolizes the dedication. They are to take the hair and put it in the fire that is under the sacrifice of the fellowship offering. More instructions about the sacrifices that they had to bring. And then in verse 20, uh, the priest shall then wave. These referring to their sacrifices before the Lord as a wave offering, because they are holy and belong to the priest, together with the with the breast that was waved and the thigh that was presented. Again, the priests were to eat the remainder of the offering. Verse 21: This is the law of the Nazarite. Who vows offerings to the Lord in accordance with their dedication, in addition to whatever else they can afford. They must fulfill the vows they have made according to the law of the Nazarite. You know, this is awesome because the Lord is also teaching these people a lesson. We talked about this earlier in the book of Leviticus. The Lord doesn't take um making vows to him lightly, okay? We have to really ponder think twice before we dedicate or consecrate something to the Lord because he takes it seriously. So these are some major, major um, instructions for them to carry out so they can think twice before they dedicate themselves or something to the Lord. Again, uh, in today's era in our relationship with God through Christ, we do not have to go through all these rules, but the Bible teaches us in Romans 12, 1, that we should present ourselves daily to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Currently, it's a heart issue. We have to uh, be firmed in our own heart and in our own conviction that we want to take time, i.e. say to fast for about a week, that way we could be more sensitive to the voice of god again i just have to make this comment because i'm talking briefly about fasting here fasting does not move god absolutely not fasting is not for god god never moved god does not move god is always present fasting is for you is for your own benefit because during the period of fasting, you have to deny your flesh, your appetite, something such as drinks, food for a certain period of time. That way you can learn how to tame the desires of the flesh and the appetite. And that way you are more sensitive to the voice of God as you spend more time in his presence. By doing that, you would be training training yourself to overcome your lustful desires, your carnal desires, and that way you enable the spirit man in you to quicken you, to strengthen you, and you, and as you spend more time in the presence of the Lord, you are more sensitive to hear His voice in His Word and the inner promptings in your heart, especially as you deny your flesh, food, uh, fluids, or whatever you you choose to deny yourself off that is it so the principle is just to enable you to really draw closer to God and be more sensitive to his voice and then you you tone down all of the environmental noise all of your uh, appetites uh, from your flesh and um, that way you also train your senses to be more sensitive to to the voice of God that is really the principle behind fasting Um, I just had to explain that. But going back to this uh, Nazarite vow, uh, this really had to teach these people how to be um, consistent. And likewise, when we decide to fast, we really have to do it correctly if we are truly seeking God for a particular matter or we want to just draw closer to him for one reason or the other. Constant prayer accomplishes the same thing as fasting. And you could fast with, uh, say, fluids, uh, say, coffee. If you drink coffee, say, four cups of coffee every day, you can decide that I am not going to drink any coffee for one week. That would be fasting on something that you really like. That way you can spend extra time with the Lord. And then uh, when we decide to dedicate our children to the Lord or dedicate ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice, that really just means that we we commit fully to submit our desires, our wishes to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that we obey the teachings in the Word of God. We um, obviously spend time with God, uh, fellowship with other believers, and we truly Allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct our lives. If we do these things, we would be living a dedicated, consecrated life daily as Christians and we would be presenting ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice. So the same principles apply here. Okay, we come to uh, the last few verses of this chapter, which are verses uh, 22 all the way to 27, which will highlight the priestly blessing. In verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, uh, verse 23, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, before I go over these uh, blessings, many Bible scholars call this an Aaronic benediction because the Lord gave it to Aaron and his sons to offer to the community of Israelite. Say to them, verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. Again, highlighting God's protection over their lives. Verse 25, the Lord make his face shine on you. Again, highlighting God's favor on the lives of the Israelites and be gracious to you. Again, highlighting God's grace and mercy towards them. Verse 26, the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Again, reminding the Israelites that God's peace is their portion. God's peace is with them. Verse 27, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. That was really a powerful uh, prayer there. So again, just to summarize the components of that prayer, God wanted the Israelites to continuously remember his, his favor in their lives. Okay, that he is pleased with them and his mercy and grace over their lives, his mercy and compassion them and his approval to them and most importantly his peace is with them powerful and even in our own prayer lives these are all very relevant components that we could we could pray over our bodies over our properties over our possessions and over our children okay which of you would not want God's favor all of us do which of you would not want God to be pleased with you and be gracious, and be merciful, and be compassionate towards you, all of us. So we still pray for God's favor in our lives and his approval. And of course, we all want peace with God, which we as New Testament believers have peace with God, but the peace of God is a whole different thing. Because once you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you automatically Have peace with God. However, the peace of God is different. Uh, Some people don't experience the peace of God because of sin in their lives, because of disobedience, or because of carnality. But all of us as Christians would like to desire the peace of God to rule in our lives. So that prayer or the components of that prayer is still applicable as it, uh, 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 it is encouraging It builds confidence in God and it it enables us to be hopeful. Okay, those are all applicable. So that brings us to the end of chapter 6. So um, let's take a look at chapter 7. So we are now down to chapter 7. What is the gist of this chapter? This is an interesting chapter because it is talking about offerings at the dedication of the tabernacle. And we had already gone over this in Exodus chapter 40. So we have it here again uh, for one obvious reason because we're going to see the dedication of the tabernacle in addition to the fact that the various leaders from each um, clan or tribe, of the 12 tribes of Israel will bring their own gifts for the dedication of the tabernacle. Okay, so let's take a look at verse 1. When Moses finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed and consecrated it and all its furnishings. He also anointed and consecrated the altar and all its utensils. Then, I am in verse 2, the leaders of Israel, the heads of families who were the tribal leaders in charge of those who were counted, made offerings. Just exactly what I was saying. Verse 3, they brought as their gift before the Lord six covered carts and twelve oxen, an ox from each leader, and a cart from every two. So, they brought their offerings to Moses and... The Lord said to Moses, I am in verse 4, verse 5 now, accept these from them that they may uh, be used in the work at the tent of meeting. Give them to the Levites as each man's work requires. This is a major principle here. We see how the Lord will accept gifts from the various leaders from the 12 tribes of Israel and the Lord would give Moses instructions to give Take these gifts and give it to Aaron so they can uh, be used for taking care of the tabernacle. So what is the principle here? God hasn't changed. God is still expecting us, his children, to give gifts to the churches, to the ministries, so they can use the gifts to further his work in this world. The same principle. Okay. So in verse 6, Moses took the cats and oxen and gave them to the Levites. You can read all of those. We come to verse 10. Uh, When the altar was anointed, the leaders brought their offerings for its dedication and presented them before the altar. For the Lord had said to Moses, each day one leader is to bring his offerings to the dedication of the altar. I mean, the Lord did this for for many reasons. But one reason is that he wanted to give each of the leaders from the different tribes of Israel a special day to bring their dedication to the Lord. This was supposed to really encourage them, make them feel appreciated by the Lord that they had this special day and time when they had to present their sacrifice to the Lord. Of course, that would also make you feel worthy. So that is what we see happening here. So, uh, verses 12 all the way to the end of this chapter just goes on to explain the different leaders and their different offerings. I will not go over these verses. You can read this on your own. But just let us just highlight a few verses here. Take a look at verse 12. The first day the tribe of Judah presented their offering... Those can be found in verses 13 all the way to 17. On verse 18, the second day, the, uh, the tribe, the leader of Ishka, brought his offering. You can read his offerings there from uh, verses 19 all the way to 23. And on verse 24, that is on the third day. We see the leader of the uh, people of Zebulun or the tribe of Zebulun. He brought his offering there. Those verses uh from verses 25 all the way to 29. We now come to verse 30. That is day number 4. We see the leader of the people of the tribe of Reuben. He brought his own offering. Those are described in verses 31 all the way to 35. We come to verse 36. We are on day number 5. We see the leader of the people or the tribe of Simon. He brought his own gift offering to the Lord as described in verses 37 all the way to 41. We are now on verse 42, day number 6. We see the leader of the people of the tribe of God, his offerings, are described in verses 43 all the way to 47. That brings us to verse 48, day number 7. We see the uh, leader from the tribe or people of Ephraim. His uh, offerings are described in verses 49 all the way to 53. We now come to verse uh, 54. We are on day number 8. We see the tribe of Manasseh, the leader there, uh, bringing his offerings to the Lord. Those offerings are described in verses 55 all the way to verse 59. And there is a consistent pattern with these offerings. They, br- they uh, These leaders brought animals for the sin offering, a perfect animal. They brought the best uh, uh, flour mix. They brought uh, olive oil. They brought um, a sprinkling bowl with shekels. These are all consistent types of offering there. We are now on verse 60. On the ninth day, we see the leader of the people or the tribe of Benjamin. His offerings are described in verse say, 61 all the way to... 65 then in verse 66 which is day number 10 this is the leader out of the tribe of dan his offerings can be found in verses 67 all the way to 71 we come to the 11th day beginning here at verse 72 we see the offerings of the leader of the tribe or the people of Asher. His offerings are described in verses 73 all the way to 77. And finally, we come to the twelfth day, which is the tribe uh, number 12. On the twelfth day, we see the uh, leader of the people of uh, Naphtali. His offerings are described in verses Verse 79 all the way to 83 and then in verse 84 we are told these were the offerings of the israelites leaders for the dedication of the altar when when it was anointed boy this was a significant wow lumpsome gift offering to the tabernacle okay 12 silver plates 12 uh, silver sprinkling bowls and 12 gold dishes. Boy. <laughs> Verse 86, the 12 uh, gold dishes filled with incest weighed 10 shekels. Verse 87, the total number of animals for the bond offering came to 12 young bulls, 12 rams and 12 male lambs a year old. Wow. Verse 88, the total number of animals for the sacrifice of the fellowship offering came to 24 oxen, 60 rams, 60 male goats, and 60 male lambs a year old. Wow. They gave generously. They gave abundantly. They gave out of their heart. This is exactly how the Lord still wants us to give to us his work. Freely, abundantly, without reservation. Towards the end of uh, verse 88 there, it says, These were the offerings for the dedication of the altar after it was anointed. Wow. Verse 89. When Moses entered the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from between the two cherubim above the atonement cover on the ark of the covenant law. In this way, the Lord spoke to him. Wow. So we hear We see, rather, God speaking to Moses in the Holy of Holies. And uh, Moses had such an awesome encounter, relationship with the Lord, that he had the audible voice of God. Isn't that something? I know that today there are Christians who would like that. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You know, I laugh because we, as New Testament believers, we have something better. The laws of God written in this tangible form called the Bible. During Moses' era, they didn't have the Bible compiled like this. Jesus hadn't come. They just had half of the covenant. We have the whole thing. So God has revealed himself to us in the scriptures. Okay. Throughout the Old and New Testament, we do not need to wait to hear the audible voice of God to feel like God loves us or to feel closeness to God. No, you take it by faith that Jesus died for your sins. The veil has been torn from top to bottom. You can approach God directly in the name of Jesus. You have his word. You can spend time with him as much as you want, as long as you want, and you would experience the same presence of God that Moses experienced which is God's peace, God's joy, God's radiance. You will be able to even experience more because you have more revelation of the nature of God today through the scriptures more than Moses had. So we need not desire to hear the audible voice of God. We have the word of God, which is a sure foundation. It's a sure way of knowing God and spending time with him. In Jesus' name, I hope you received that. So, let us go over some major principles and applications from uh, chapters 5 through 7. Principle number 1, God's purity is emphasized here. Remember, we talked about how God separated those who uh, had a defiling disease in the camp. God asked Moses to get them out of the camp. God highlighted his holiness there. We talked about that. And also the fact that even the Nazarite Nazarite who came across a dead body, they got considered that a sin. They had to rededicate themselves to the Lord. Again, we see God's holiness. We talked about a God who is ever present with us, a God who is alive. Glory to God. A God who is I am. Principle number two. God's faithfulness and loyalty is highlighted here, especially the whole uh, instructions about dealing with the unfaithful wife. God was sending a message that uh, marriage between a man and a woman is to be taken seriously. He will not accept infidelity or adultery. We already know that, right? That adultery was one of the... uh, Crimes in the Mosaic law that is um, subject to death. If you commit adultery, they will stone you to death. So that is the same thing here. We see God highlighting the fact that a marriage has to be between a man and a woman. One man, one woman. No adultery, no infidelity. In this lesson, we also learned God's protective care towards the housewives back during Moses' era who were not able to work and were dependent on their husbands for their livelihood, such as income, etc. Principle number three, we talked about the principle of dedication and consecration. I, I am not gonna go over that whole thing, but God takes it seriously. And we went over the Nazarite vow, and of course, the Levites were consecrated to him for his own use. And I uh We also talk about the principle of uh, caring for God's tabernacle from the offerings of the people. So God's methodology for caring for his church today or his ministries have not changed. He is still relying on faithful people who have open hearts, who are willing to give towards his endeavors so his work can be fostered here on the earth. So what are the major applications from these principles? I think these are very obvious. I talked about uh, becoming a living sacrifice out of Romans uh, 12.1. I talked about how as a living sacrifice, we really, it's a heart issue. We make a decision in our heart to dedicate ourselves to the Lord. And we allow uh, the Holy Spirit to guide and direct our lives. And we surrender our desires, our wishes. Our wishes, our plans under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we practice his word and we um, spend time in the presence of God. So the, the principle of dedication is still extremely applicable today. We are supposed to live dedicated lives every day. Okay, And part of that dedicated life, Jesus really highlighted that in the Gospels, Jesus said out of Matthew 6, he said, Seek First, the kingdom of God and all else shall be added to you. That is all part of that dedicated life. If you dedicate your life to the Lord and you're seeking him with all of your heart, all of your strength, all of your mind and soul, you you practice his word, you obey him, everything else will fall in place. That is what That is a byproduct of a dedicated life. Jesus also went on to say that in order for us to have life, we have to die to ourselves. We have to, to die to our own will, to, to our own desires, to to our own ways of doing things. That is not to imply that God does not want us to have a mind to make decisions. Of course, God, God wants us to apply wisdom. But what the Lord was teaching is that we have to, allow God's wisdom to guide, rule our lives rather than our own carnal ways of doing things. Okay? By carnal, I'm talking about you make decisions based on what you see, what you feel, what you (laughs) touch, what you smell. You make decisions based on what's happening in your environment rather than making decisions based on biblical principles. And of of course, the Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 7, that we walk by faith and not by sight. So a dedicated life is a consecrated life, is a life that is a surrendered life unto the Lord. It's a life that allows God's wisdom to guide and rule them. That is still applicable today. And also we have to maintain our purity, okay? We learned about God's holiness. We are still expected to uphold God's holy laws because uh, the apostle John teaches us that anyone whose hope is in Christ purifies him or herself, even as him, Jesus Christ, is pure. That was out of 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. So we want to maintain our purity and to uphold godly standards. And the the last application here is that of giving to the body of Christ, giving to your local church or various other Christ-centered ministries in order to advance God's kingdom here on this dark world. God is still depending on his children to give to the churches, to give to the ministries, Freely, wholeheartedly in order for his work to be advanced. And we learned that in these uh, chapters. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you for all of the listeners today, Lord. We have learned quite a bit today about dedicating ourselves to you. About We've learned about your holiness, your faithfulness, and your goodness, Lord. We've also learned about... About maintaining our purity for the God. We just ask you to teach us through your Holy Spirit how to apply these truths into our lives because we desire to live honest lives. We desire to glorify you through our actions, through our speech, through our endeavors. Help us, Lord, to do this because on our own we cannot do this. So we rely on your Holy Spirit to enable us to dedicate our life to you daily. We rely on your Holy Spirit to enable us to surrender our carnal and selfish desires under the Lordship of Jesus Christ because we know you want the best for us. We also want the best. So Lord, help us in this endeavor. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everybody says, Amen.
0: So as you proceed with your day today, remember that God is with you always, enabling you to overcome in Jesus' name. I am Chris Orem. Stay blessed and bye for now.